Hello and welcome to Trade Tips from the World Bank Group. I'm Sarah Trino. This is the podcast that tackles some of the big issues in the world of trade and explores the solutions. In this episode, the relationship between trade and climate change and how shipping can tackle its huge carbon emissions. There is technology available that they can operate on green fuels, but there are no green fuels available at the moment. So you have the situation that there are no green fuels uh, because no one are building the, the green ships and, and no one builds the green ships because there are no green fuels. All of these solutions that we're talking about need to be done at scale, um, but the solutions exist. Without a doubt, they do. We hear from the world's largest container shipping firm about the search for new, greener ways to think about trade and from the World Bank on the challenges and opportunities ahead. All that and more coming up on the podcast. Trade tips. Trade tips. Trade tips. The unmistakable sound of a port for many. This is the sound of global trade. And this is also a problem, because the vast container ships traversing our oceans are also polluting our warming planet. So, what's the industry doing about it? So, my name is Morten Bo Christensen, and I'm head of decarbonisation at AP Mollermersk, and I'm located in Copenhagen. Morten, explain to me the size of the issue here. So, basically, moving goods around the world, be it on ships, planes, trains, trucks, whatever, uh, all in all emits something somewhere between three and a half and four billion tons of, of CO2 every year. So that is, um, if you compare that to the total energy-related emissions, that is 10%. And if you compare it to like overall emissions, it's more like seven. How much have carbon emissions become a priority in your industry and also for your customers? We are seeing a, an increasing number of customers who is actually willing to invest in, in solutions that, are, that are, are net zero or carbon neutral because, un, unfortunately, it is more expensive um, to, to produce green products, if you will. Still, the cheapest way to <clears throat> transport things around is by using fossil fuel. And if you want to use green fuels, it, it adds a, a premium to the product. But we are seeing more and more customers who are willing to pay a reasonable uh, premium to actually have um, to reduce their carbon footprints. I, I think what we are seeing a lot at the moment is some kind of you know, chicken and egg type situation. If you take, for example, um, the vessels, so, so the container ships, I mean, there is technology available that, that, they can, that they can operate on green fuels, but there are no green fuels available at the moment. So you have this situation that there are no green fuels uh, because no one are building the, the green ships and, and no one builds the green ships because there are no green fuels. Uh, and that is kind of the, the, the conundrum that we are trying to, um, to, to break. And, and we have done that by coming up with um, an ambition to become or commitment to become net zero as, as per science-based targets definitions in 2040, so in 18 years. And we have also given ourselves some quite uh, stiff targets for 2030, uh, which, again, if we take the, the shipping part of it, we have, we have said that 25% of the, of the, the products we, we sell to customers by 2030 must be, must be green. It's a quite ambitious target because it is in only uh, eight years and, and, you know, someone needs to build the facilities for the green fuels first. And so what will you sail the ships with, if not fossil fuels? Uh, to sail the ships on, on green methanol instead of fossil fuel oil. The methanol we want to use on our ships needs to be based 
uh, on on either what is called e-methanol, which is um, which is this so-called power to X. So you do electrolysis on water and you then pair it with biogenic CO2, or it can be made from from uh, from gasifying biomass directly. And that market simply just doesn't exist. Building the ships, designing the ships, and so on that that's actually the least of our concerns because the technology is available. And the engines are actually not that different from a conventional uh, engine for um, for oil, uh, so that's that's really not the problem. The problem is to scale um, the green fuels market because um, it it needs to scale very very significantly. And does that require partnerships in various parts of the globe to produce and provide refueling points? How does that work? Yeah, it, it, exactly. I mean, the, the good thing is actually that these uh, these container ships have very, very large uh, tanks. So they um, they basically only need to fuel up or bunker, as we call it, uh, once on a full round trip. Uh, the, the real challenge is really to to get the fuels produced uh, in enough in large enough quantities because we we are, we are talking about very, very large quantities here that is needed. And we have um, we have managed to sign up uh, seven so-called MOUs, so memorandums of understanding which are basically agreements to uh, to uh, to buy fuels from from developers and we have we have signed up seven of those mainly in Asia, uh, North America and South America. And then on top of that we are actually also exploring opportunities to take a more active role uh, in developing these projects in 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 for example northern Africa uh, and we are also looking into uh, to other locations in the world because well to get to to real scale on this you will need renewable energy and and you want to go uh, where renewable energy is the cheapest, and that is uh, typically uh, uh, in areas like, uh, like like Northern Africa or India is an interesting place as well, Brazil, uh, US. Um, so, so that's really what determines the, the production locations. We're hearing a lot about so-called nearshoring trends, manufacturers wanting to source goods from closer proximity markets. We've also heard a lot about supply chain crises in the last couple of years. Have you seen clients and customers looking at this? Indeed, no, definitely, and and we are also seeing that uh, that trend emerging. <clears throat> now the thing is, there's a lot of inertia in the system because you have these uh, established supply chains that are typically based on on large investments. It's not that easy to overnight uh, change the the supply chain of, for example, an automotive uh, manufacturer. Um, but but we are we are definitely seeing uh, seeing trends of this, and I think the biggest sort of topic for most of our customers right now is actually resilience. Many customers have actually um, been struggling under, for example, if you are only sourcing from one particular supplier in one part of the world, you know, if that country got locked down or, or whatever happened, then all of a sudden uh, you could actually face production stops. So I think the the key word for our customers right now is resilience. And are many governments receptive to this plan too? You spoke about partnerships in the private sector to create your new your new uh, fuel, but are governments getting on board, so to speak? Well, uh, not not fast enough, if you ask me. Um, I, I think so. So shipping is a bit of a unique industry, actually, because it is it is globally regulated under the United Nations. Um, so we have something called the International Maritime Organization, which actually regulates uh, global shipping. So, so ideally, we would actually get a, a global carbon tax on shipping, right? That would level the playing field. It would incentivize everyone to do the right thing. Um, and, and hopefully that will happen someday. So that's the ambitious target of the world's biggest container shipping firm, Maersk. But what about the even bigger picture? I wanted to find out more. 
Hi, Sarah. Um, so I'm Vicky Chamutai and I am an economist well, under the Young Professionals Program with the World Bank's Trade and Regional Integration Unit. Vicky, give me the issue in a nutshell. What is the link between trade and climate? So um, as we show in our recent report called the Trade and Climate Change Nexus, international trade flows are affecting climate change through the emissions of greenhouse gases. And this is at you know, several levels, uh, the production, the distribution, and the consumption stage. Um, and more than a quarter of all those total um, global emissions stem from the production and distribution of traded goods and services. Now, when you add the emissions from the consumption stage, this share grows exponentially. Um, and this is particularly true for Costa Rican coffee um, at the consumption stage over 60% of the emissions um, come from there. And where are we seeing the most acute issues? Are we talking mainly about the developing world? Let me give two illustrations. So for the first one is that um, food insecurity is very high. Um, the effects of climate change on food production are being felt. Um, and you, you're seeing that, you know, the unprecedented droughts in the Horn of Africa. And when we look at different estimations, it shows that by 2030, about 70 million more people will be at risk of hunger because of climate change. So the sustainable trade of food will be critical in safeguarding food security in many parts. Um, a second serious issue that is uh, we need to think about a lot is the fact that heat is affecting worker productivity. Um, and this is affecting export sectors. Uh, in Bangladesh, a study showed that months with an average temperature of 30 degrees um, or more in uh, centigrade in outside temperature correlated with a productivity decrease of 2% posing a significant future risk for the garment industry. And we all know that Bangladesh um, has a very huge um, garment industry and this is one of its top export sectors. There are some big problems, huge problems, but can trade contribute to the solution? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I really love this question because we often tend to look at one lens um, where trade is contributing to emissions, but we don't really think about the fact that there are solutions. And, and in an increasingly climate change afflicted world, trade will gain importance as a mechanism to address you know, those issues that we just discussed, uh, food insecurity, support adaptation. In fact, um, opportunities exist to reduce barriers to support the greening of trade and facilitate countries' adjustment to these changing comparative advantages. Um, the first one is reducing trade restrictions on access to environmental goods and services and on environmentally preferable products that are needed for both mitigation and adaptation. Um, and what does this reducing restrictions take the form of? So one, it's reviewing country tariffs and removing any bias towards dirty sectors. Um, research shows that most country tariff structures show a high skewness towards dirty sectors. This basically means when you have more carbon intensive products, they actually have very um, low tariffs. And when you have um, the less carbon intensive ones, they have very high tariffs. Reducing restrictions could also take the form of removing these non-tariff barriers and implementing trade facilitation and logistics reforms to reduce delays at borders and along trade routes. Importantly, addressing trade facilitation concerns at border points could contribute to reducing food waste, which in turn contributes 
to food security, perhaps uh, reducing the regulatory barriers on agricultural inputs and facilitating access to new technologies for farmers through expedited procedures for releasing seeds and easier movement of agricultural specialists. These are just a couple, a few examples, uh, but it illustrates that the trade policy solutions exist and most of them are quick win. They can be done easily and just require a lot of co cooperation. And while this is all vital, it is not sufficient. We need innovation, but at scale. We need a freer flow of relevant environmental goods and services at scale. We need financing at scale, not just commitments. All of these solutions that we're talking about need to be done at scale, um, but the solutions exist. Without a doubt, they do. A positive and rallying note to end on. Morton, Vicky, many thanks for explaining some of the links between trade and climate. Thanks for listening to this episode of Trade Tips from the World Bank Group. I'm Sarah Trino. Do check out some more of our episodes which take in discussions about trade and gender, the role of technology and what Caribbean rum cake can teach us about trade agreements. We'll see you soon.